Good morning, church. Really miss you. Uh, been praying for you and for us as a church, praying that God's grace would cover us in such a season as this. Um, I know it's been a tough season. Uh, as I've been checking in and just uh, chatting with many of you, you know, on the one hand, it's actually been really, really encouraging. Um, I wish I could share with you all the stories of encouragement and uh, God's faithfulness and how he has been sustaining us and teaching us and caring for us. Um, we have people in our church who are suffering other health issues, and yet God's been so good and so gracious. And at the same time, I know many of us uh, are are really uh, struggling right now, maybe um, feeling frustrated with Zoom, with church like this, with being stuck in our house. I know many of us have um, all kinds of opinions about um, our stay-at-home order and our circumstances that we are in right now. And um, I've also just been hearing uh, reports that, you know, worship has been difficult, that um, we miss being together. And, um, and many of us even have expressed somewhat of maybe what you could call a spiritual slump. And as I've just been uh, checking in and then just praying for us. Uh, this week, as I was just in my own time with the Lord, we're going through that McShane reading plan, and I came across Psalm 51. And I was just reading that and praying um, for myself. And then as I was actually praying for our church, the, just the Spirit of God so strongly pressed on my heart um, just to pray Psalm 51 for us in this season. And um, it was so meaningful, honestly, that I, I just decided, you know, what, let's take a, a, a one week a break from our series in John and let's together uh, pause and look at this Psalm, Psalm 51 together. Because listen, you may be in a spiritual slump right now, or, or maybe you aren't in one, but it's just, this is true. We will all pass through seasons of, of spiritual dryness and difficulty. And unless we think, you know, that's not going to happen to me. Re remember David who, who authored this Psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David, who is responsible for almost the, the majority of the Psalms who had such a close walk with God, went almost an entire year in a deep spiritual slump. And so if that, if, if, if that could happen to David, certainly it can happen to people like you and myself. And so I, I want us to look together at Psalm 51. So open your Bible to Psalm 51. We're just going to be working verse by verse through Psalm 51. Uh, the title of this sermon is Five Steps Out of a Spiritual Slump. And um, I'm actually going to be reading out of the NASB. Uh, I've been reading through the NASB uh, just in my own time with the Lord this year. And uh, a, there's a specific word in the NASB that is so beautiful. And, and it's and it comes up all the time in the Psalms. And it's it's the word loving kindness, God's loving kindness. And truly that word, it's in the first verse of this psalm. That's really what this psalm is about, just the loving kindness of our God. And so 
um, in the NASB, it, it reflects what it looked like in the original Hebrew. You know, this is a, this is a poem and there are five stanzas, five uh, sections uh, to this psalm. And that's why we're going to have five steps. We're just going to take each stanza and, and, and look at it as a step out of a spiritual slump. So it'll be particularly helpful for you if you have been uh, just experiencing a slump in your relationship with the Lord. I mean, we, we can't enjoy the normal means of grace as we gather together, as we hear one another's voices, as we receive hugs and look at one another and sing to one another and receive communion all together. And so uh, it's understandable if we are struggling in this season. And, and so this psalm was written uh, as David left a spiritual slump. And so um, let's read through this psalm together. I will pray and then we will hear from God. So let's get ready to hear. Psalm 51 says this. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. <clears throat> Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. By your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. Lord, we thank you 
that we just heard from God, the living God, through your living and active and powerful word. Holy Spirit, thank you that you have given us a clear, perfect, infallible, powerful, restoring word. Lord, I ask that you would you would just be merciful to us even now, Lord, as we're trying to, to fix our attention onto you, onto your words. Wherever we are when we're hearing this, Lord, whatever distractions may come, I just ask for your grace for us, that we would, we would be able to fix our attention onto you and your word. Would you speak to us? Would you illumine our minds and our hearts? Would you restore to us the joy of our salvation, God? Lord, we need you. This season has been a trial, Lord, and we need your grace and your mercy, your loving kindness. So God, help me in my weakness just to, just to point to what you have spoken and what it means for us in this time. And I even ask, Lord, you would save. You would save. You would awaken dead souls and you would allow ears to spiritually hear joy and gladness for the first time as you speak through your word. We love you, Lord. Speak now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, really, you know, we said there's five steps. You're having a, a slump spiritually. There are five stanzas, but, but it actually all begins... In an interesting place, a place that we would maybe often overlook when we're reading through a song. Look with me, before the first verse, there is a little description there underneath the heading Psalm 51, and then you have that bold title, a contrite sinner's prayer for pardon. Underneath that is a description. Now, that description is actually in the original text. The description is scripture. We, don't, we tend not to think about that, but this is, this is for us. And, and it tells us, it says this, For the choir director, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Listen, what stood between David in his spiritual slump and this song, what stood, what was between, what, what got David out of his slump and to this place of worshiping God. Do you know what, what was right in between that? It was a godly man who spoke the word of God to David. That was the bridge. That was the bridge from David's slump to communion with God. Listen, that's always the bridge. If you are experiencing this sense of, I, I just not connecting with God, let me tell you, it's the spirit of God speaking the word of God to you. That is your way out of a spiritual slump. It's this book full of prophets who were full of the Holy Spirit and spoke perfectly the word of God as we even do what we are doing right now. Truly, this is like the step before the steps. The word of God, Nathan coming to David. 
And I just want us to even, this is such a nug and it's, we, we overlook it. When, when it says, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, that's actually the same word in Hebrew. What, what David did in his sin as he went into Bathsheba, that's a euphemism there for sleeping with Bathsheba. When David went and he, he went to Bathsheba, well, did you know that God, in David's place of spiritual slump and sin, God went to David. When we are in our spiritual slump, let me just tell you this, you will not get yourself out of it. There is only one who can get you out of it. It is God himself who goes to you right now. As you are studying the word of God, God is going forth to you to grab you and speak to you and get you out of this slump. It all begins when a prophet speaks the word of God to the people of God. That's how we're saved in the first place. The gospel proclaimed, the word of God spoken by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's why we study God's word. That's why we work through it verse by verse and we wrestle with it and chew on it. And we ask God, please speak to me because the power and the wisdom is here. These five steps are not my five steps. My ideas, any other Godly person's ideas have no power, but the power is when the Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God. And so let's study this text. Let's study that first stanza. And, and the first step after the Word of God comes, the first step, the first thing David expresses, the first step out of a spiritual slump is this, to remember the character of God. Remember the character of God. Let's just look through uh, verses one through four together. David begins, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. David appeals to the character of of God. That is what the people of God always do. That's what Moses did when he appealed to God. He always appealed and remembered who God was. God, remember your character. When we are in this place where we are, we are dry and we're not able to connect with the Lord and we just, we feel far from his presence and his word is dull. We appeal to the character of God. God is gracious. God is love according to his loving kindness, according to the greatness of his compassion. When God looks at us, even in our sin, he loves us. He's gracious. His mercies are new. He has great compassion. And then because of those characteristics of God, then he banks the, the request, blot out my transgressions at the end of verse one. Now, it's important to notice, David isn't just saying, God, because you have warm feelings toward me, you know, you're, it's gonna be okay. He's saying, no, because of who you are, 
You have to do this act. You need to blot out my transgressions. There's an actual like list of transgressions that need to be blotted out, that need to be removed. It's not just that God sweeps them under the rug. He needs to do something about it. And he will do something about it and has done something about it in Jesus because of his character. Then he goes on verse two, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Verse four, against you, you only have I sinned. He's remembering God. He starts with God. When he's in this slump, when he's in sin, he begins step one with God. Against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Listen, sin is miserable. It makes us miserable. It makes other people miserable. It has broken the entire world. This virus we are experiencing is a result indirectly from original sin and the curse that God gave because of our rebellion against him. Sin is misery. But do you know what the worst, most offensive part of sin is? It's that we have sinned against a holy God. See, God is merciful and he's compassionate, but he is also holy. And as this verse says, he is a judge. God is holy. And so the worst part of sin is that we have transgressed against God. You know, when Isaiah saw the Lord seated on his throne and he heard the angels declaring, holy, holy, holy. When Isaiah really saw God and saw his glory and his majesty, when he saw the character of God displayed in his temple, his first response is to fall on his knees and say, woe is me. I have unclean lips. I am a sinner. And so we need to remember our sin is ultimately against God. And he's just. And he's holy. And his judgments are good and right. And he's blameless in his judgments. And so a a logical conclusion would be, well, if God is so holy and if he is so just and if he is a judge, what hope is there for me, a sinner? We just cry out as David did, as Isaiah did, woe is me. What hope is there? Well, remember the character of God. He is perfectly holy and he's perfectly merciful. And so how do these two things go together? How can David say you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge? How can a holy, just judge pardon a guilty sinner? Well, Paul actually quotes these words from Psalm 51 in Romans chapter 3. I want you to turn there with me if you can. Romans chapter 3. 
The beginning of Romans 3, Paul quotes this in verse 4. He says, Let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. He's quoting Psalm 51. Now, towards the end of Romans 3, Paul explains how God can be a just judge and yet merciful. Look what he says in verse 23, and we'll read to 26. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What Paul just said is How can you forgive David for abusing his power, for sleeping, committing adultery with another man's wife, and then murdering that man, and then using his power to cover the whole thing up? How can God just say to David, no problem, David, don't worry about it. How can God be just? How can that be? Well, what Paul says is God passed over that judgment that David deserves, the judgment you and I deserves, and what he does is he places that judgment on Jesus Christ. His own son offered up his life willingly as a propitiation. He said, I will be judged. Jesus, the son of God, the second member of the Trinity, the one who will judge the world, the judge said, I will be judged. I will take the judgment so that God can be just and his holiness and his wrath, the payment for sins can actually go somewhere so that God can remain just and yet be the justifier of all those who have sinned and yet trusted in Jesus. And you know what's amazing is David knew God would do that. David knew that God was merciful And he would provide a sacrifice. He would provide a way for God's justice to remain and for his mercy to extend to sinners. And so for you and me, we need to remember our foundation as we are wrestling with our own sin and our own weakness, as we've lashed out against spouses or friends, or we've had bitterness in our hearts, and we've said things we shouldn't have said in this difficult trial, as we experience even the sin and weakness of other people, as we are experiencing sin, what do we need to remember? That God is perfectly holy and God is merciful. And because of Jesus Christ, God can extend mercy to you and me and remain a just judge. We need to remember the character of God. Remember the character of God. Now, the second step out of a spiritual slump is this. We must be honest about our sin. 
We must be honest about our sin. Let's read verses five through nine. Let's work through them. David begins with the word behold. Now he says that because what he's about to say is a really big deal. It's a really big reality and it's a heartbreaking reality. He says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying my sin, this action, this series of actions that I did, it wasn't a freak accident. It wasn't a bad day. It wasn't a perfect storm of circumstances. Do you know what he's saying? I sinned because that's who I am. That's my character. I was born in sin. From the day I was born, sin has been in me. And so sin just worked its way out to this action that I have done. What he's doing is he's being honest about sin. Sin is not something you stumble into or something you accidentally do. We often speak of a fall, so-and-so fell. He's saying, no, you were born in sin. You, your soul was spiritually dead and you love to sin. That is what David, and that's why he says, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. From day one, this is who I am. And then he says it again in verse six, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. What he's saying is God doesn't want us to just think, oh yeah, sin, it's this shallow thing. He wants us to be honest. He wants us to be straightforward in the hidden parts of our heart. Why do I sin? Because I wanted to sin because I am a son or daughter of Adam and it has been in me from the day I was born. Even as a son and daughter of God, I am stuck in this flesh that does what I don't want to do. Sin is is there and God desires us to be honest and truthful about that fact. So he says, I'm gonna be honest. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. God, you want me to be honest with you. But then he says, verse seven, purify me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. What he's doing there is he's referring to um, a practice that God instituted in Leviticus. It was one of the ways um, that one of the sacrifices to, for, to remove our sin, to, to take away our sin. And, and this is amazing. He, there's this one uh, sin offering where he says, you need to take two birds. And he says, now the first bird, you need to wring its neck and you need to pour out its blood into this basin of water. And then you need to dip that bird with um, some hyssop, this branch, dip that. And then, and then what you need to do is sprinkle that bloody water onto this other bird. And then you need to let that other bird go away. And that is a sign, a symbol, a type, a picture of what God does through the blood of Jesus for our sin. Jesus' blood was poured out on a cross. And those who trust in him have been sprinkled with his blood. And then as that that blood was sprinkled on another bird and that bird flew away, that is a symbol that God takes 
your sin away. As, as much as you are going to try and catch that bird flying away, your sin has been removed. And so David is alluding to this. And, and what I think is so profound is he, he says verse 7 right next to verses 5 and 6. Now listen, I know it's not an easy or popular thing to talk about sin being in us, that deep in us. We don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear, oh, my heart is wicked and desperate beyond. Who can understand it? We don't want to hear that. But look what David says in verse seven. He says, me, the one who has been wicked and sinful from my birth. He says, if you purify me, God, I will be clean. You can wash me whiter than snow. He's saying my sin is beyond even my actions. It's into the depth of my being from the day I was born. But you, God, can make me clean. You are able, God, you are able to remove the depths of my guilt and my sin and my shame and remove it. And I will be clean. If you wash me, God, your ability to wash me is bigger and deeper and more profound than my ability to sin. And he says, I'll be whiter than snow, purer than the purest substance we can see, the whiter than the whitest substance. That is David's faith in God. So you need to be honest about your sin. And, and if you're not willing to say, be honest about your sin, then and, and, you, and you're not willing to see sin goes all the way down, then you're not going to see the beauty of the blood of Jesus. But if you are honest about your sin before God, then you will see the power of God to cleanse you and purge your guilt and your sin away. And then he says in verse eight, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Again, David here is being honest about the experience of his sin. He says, when I was in my sin, when I wasn't repenting of my sin, it was like my bones were broken. It was so painful to my soul. It was like my very bones inside my own body were broken. But he says, but you can make me hear joy and gladness. And do you know what, he's, what he means by that? Let me hear joy and gladness. Do you know what brings joy and gladness to one who is in the depths of their sin? Do you know the one thing able to bring joy and gladness to someone suffering in their sin? It's the good news that God forgives sinners. To hear the good news of the gospel, to hear that no matter how much I have sinned, God can save me. He can forgive me. He can cleanse me. When you hear the word of God, the promises of God, the gospel of God, that has power to bring joy and gladness, to hear the good tidings, the good news of great joy. And then he closes this stanza in verse nine, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. I think it's profound here. He says, hide your face from my sins. Because, because for a while, he, it's as if God had hidden his face from David. 
But David's saying, no, God, hide your face from my sins. And how can that be? How can God just turn his face away from David's sins? Well, listen, because of Jesus. Because remember, Jesus on the cross experienced the wrath of God. And in a sense, when Jesus cried, God, why have you abandoned me? It was as if the father hid his face from the human Jesus suffering on the cross. Jesus experienced what it was like to have the face of God hidden. And as he said, blot out my iniquities, God can blot out our iniquities because he nailed the record of our iniquities to Jesus on the cross. And by the blood of Jesus, that record of iniquities has been blotted out. David knew God was able to do this. And he was able to send one who could, who could remove his very guilt and his iniquities. And so the second step I'm sorry. is to be honest about our sin. We, first, we need to remember the character of God. Second, we need to be honest about our sin. The third point is this. We need to plead for God's transforming grace. We need to plead for God's transforming grace. (coughs) Let's look at verses 10 through 13. He says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. He begins creating me. He's acknowledging that only God has the power. The God who created the universe is able to create in you and me and any person a clean heart. Our heart is wicked from the day we're born, but God is able to create a new heart, a clean heart. When the gospel goes in to someone's spiritual ears, the Bible says they are given a new heart. God creates in them a new heart, a new desire to please God, to love God. This also speaks of the daily process of sanctification. Christians can pray this every day. Oh, God created me a clean heart. I'm still struggling with temptation and my flesh. But God, you can keep creating in me a clean heart. God, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Listen, we may all be able to look back on the past when we were just steadfast and we were walking with God and we loved obeying him and we loved his word and we were just daily just drinking of his promises in his presence and and we were steadfast and then we we faded and we're not we're not steadfast anymore god is able to renew us and to create a steadfast spirit within us as david prayed in psalm 23 restore restore revive my soul i need you to restore my soul god it gets weary it's imperfect and then he says don't Don't cast me away from your presence. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Nothing robs our joy like our sin, like being in a slump where we are not enjoying 
the presence of God. And sometimes we just need to cry out like David, God, please restore a sense of your presence, a sense of your spirit. Restore to me joy. Sometimes joy is only supernatural. God, give me joy. It's a fruit of the spirit. I need your joy. Help me remember that you have saved me that you came for me, that when I was running off to other places and sin, you came and you saved me, God. So restore that joy in me. And then he says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. And we see here just the fruit. When God is working in our lives, that is the appropriate place to begin to teach others. And other people see the transformation, God's transforming grace in our lives. They see that and we're able to share with them and teach with them. Let me share with you how God has sustained and renewed and refreshed me even in this season. Man, I've been so encouraged at hearing some of uh, your stories in our church of how you've prepared a response as people say, how are you doing in this season? Or how are you getting through this season? And you've been able to share the hope of Jesus to this world that is so confused and has no hope and all they can cling to is fear and uncertainty because their foundations are shaking and they don't know that there's a hope and another chance for a resurrection and new life and forgiveness of sins and communion with God. And so our world is crumbling, but we as Christians know the joy of God's salvation. And so we can share and teach that very truth with other people. David says that is the fruit when you begin to remember the character of God and you're honest with your sin and now you're pleading with God for transforming grace in your life and you begin to share with others what God is doing in your life. And so we've seen this, the, the, the first step, remember the character of God. He's merciful and compassionate. And then we're to be honest about our sin and then we're to plead for God's transforming grace. And then four, We are simply to worship. We are to worship. Look what David says. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Oh, Lord, that you would do a work in me, David is saying. That as I remember your character, as you pursued me by your word, and I'm honest about my sin, and I'm pleading with you to transform me, it overflows. It overflows to joyfully sing. That God would open his lips, that my mouth may declare your praise. Then he goes on to say, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Now, listen, this this may seem confusing because you would say, well, wasn't it God who said to do these sacrifices? Wasn't it God who said, this is how you are to worship me? And so how could David say, you're not, you're not, you don't delight in these sacrifices. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. Well, listen, What David is saying is this, if you don't have a joyful spirit, 
If you aren't declaring the praises of God from the depths of your soul, God is not interested in an external show of worship. Now remember, it was at least or around a year from the day of David's sin to the moment when Nathan came by the Spirit of God and confronted David in his sin. And so for a year, a year, David the king certainly would have obeyed God's commandments to offer sacrifices as the king. He would certainly have kept up his discipline of daily Bible reading and bringing burnt offerings. And he would have done all of this. But he knows, looking back on that year, man, my heart was not in it. I wasn't joyfully singing of the righteousness of God. And he's saying here that God far prefers true, honest, joyful worship from from our own heart. A true broken spirit. One that says, I need you, God. He desires that far more than just external obedience. Now, this is profound for us because I know many of us are having a hard time without these available external forms of worship. We can't gather in this room. Again, there's an iPhone in front of me and that's it. We can't gather to take communion, as the Bible says, when you come together. We can't do these external forms of worship. But listen, David is saying, far better to go without these things for a time and to truly, genuinely worship God. Far better to go a year in this COVID season with no external gatherings if you are truly, genuinely with a contrite heart saying, God, I need you. Then... If, if all of a sudden we could all be together and we could have all, we could have three services a week and we're just singing and it's going for three hours and we're doing prayer meetings and we're taking communion and we're doing all this external stuff and our hearts are not in it. David says far more important is your heart to be broken and contrite before God. That is what is pleasing to God. And so listen, I know brother and sister how difficult this season is. Trust me, I know. I will just say, I hate it. I hate not being with you, not hearing your voice, not being together. But the first and most important thing is that we would love God with all of our heart, a true, honest, broken, and contrite heart. And we can because of Jesus, because the spirit of God, because the word of God, we can still commune with God. We can still meet with him. We can still pray to him. Praise God. We don't need priests to go to, to confess and do these external rites and rituals to make us right with God. We have one high priest and he's in heaven and he's available and his throne is a throne of grace. And you can approach him anytime you want because of the blood he shed on your behalf for your sins. The veil was torn and you can worship him right now, tomorrow, So God, please help us. Help us worship you truly with a true, broken and contrite heart. And then David closes the fifth step 
Just to recap, first, we remember the character of God. We're honest about our sin. We plead for his transforming grace. We worship. Now, the last step that David lays out as the pathway out of a spiritual slump, and it's surprising, is we are to consider the church. We are to consider the church. This is really surprising, but look what David says. Verse 18, by your favor, do good to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. What David is doing is this. He is praying for the people of God, the city of God, the place where they worship. Because listen, David was the king. And God promised David, David, through you, I will bless all of my people. From your body will come a king who will bless all of my people. And on your throne, David, he will reign forever and ever. And David knew that his sin affected the community affected the group. He knew he was even pleading for the people of God. God, don't abandon me because if you abandon your promises to me, you are in a sense abandoning your promises to your people because through me and and my son, there will be the savior of the world. And so David has this sense that he's connected to the people of God. He knows his sin affects the people of God. And and even think about this. David gave this prayer, this time he had with just him and the Lord. He wrote it down and he gave that to the people of God. He gave his confession to be used by the church for thousands of years. And he laid out his confession by the power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit as a roadmap for our confession. David is being considerate. He's considering the church. He's saying, people of God, this is how you repent of your sin. And that last step is remember the people of God. God, be gracious to all of your people. Be gracious to your people's worship and to the place where your people gather. And he says, then he closes the last verse saying, Lord, because you've come to me and I've considered your character and I've been honest about my sin and I've pleaded with you for your grace and I've worshiped you, Lord. And now I'm praying for your people. And he ends and he says, then, then, you will delight in righteous sacrifices and burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then young bulls will be offered on your altar. What he's saying is then things will be right again. I will be right with you and things will be right with your people. That time when he's desiring just fellowship with God and the people of God together. And we know because of Jesus He died and rose again, that the day will come, first of all, when this little local community will be together again around Jesus. But but truly, the day will come when we will join David and all of the saints throughout human history 
as we have been covered by the blood of the Lamb and we will worship and offer true worship to the God who is merciful and holy and compassionate, who made a way for us to be right with Him, who pursued us through His Word by sending Jesus, the Word, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be justified in His sight. That day is coming. And we are to look forward for strength. That day is coming. The day is coming when I'll be with the people of God again in my local church. And the day is coming when I will be with all the people of God gathered around the throne of grace. So Reality Cart, I know this is a difficult season. But hear the word of God. Study the word of God. Let it come to you even in your sin even in your weakness, and remember his character, his loving kindness to you. Even the one who is holy, holy, holy has made a way for you to be justified. Be honest about your sin. Continue to confess your sin to God. And if you're able, reach out to a brother or sister. Think about this. David needed Nathan. God used a brother in Christ to confront him with his sin. And so be honest about your sin and and then plead, God, transform me, create in me a new steadfast spirit and then worship him. Now, again, I know worship is so difficult. We cannot corporately worship, but you can worship God. You can worship him through your obedience, through your time alone with him every day. You can worship him out on a walk. You can continue to have what, again, God wants from you is a true, broken, contrite heart. That says, God, I can do nothing, but because of your mercy, I, I need your mercy. And because of your mercy, I can worship you and commune with you. I have been adopted in your family. That is the worship he desires, and you can give it to him. And then finally, consider the church. Remember that our sin deeply affects the church. And so we, we go through this process, and we confess, and we're restored, and we pray for the church. God, may the day come when we can be together again. So Lord, restore, restore us, renew us. Lead us out of our places of struggle and depression and discouragement. Remind us of your character, God, your ability to create new life and restoring. You're able to restore our souls, Lord. God, lead us in worship and true contrite hearts. And God, would you Please hasten the day when we as Reality Cart can be together again and hasten the day when you just come back for your people, Jesus. We are ready. Come, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come. Come for us. The Spirit and the Bride say we're ready to go home. So come, Jesus. But until that day, help your people walk with you and even teach others of your ways that they would come to know you, Jesus. We love you. We need you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.